0: Hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, of all. Bring forth the royal
1: diadem and ground him, of all every...
0: Welcome everybody to the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray.
1: And I am David Van Becker.
0: And we've got uh, what we're calling the Apologetics Roundtable on this episode today. And we are joined at the moment, uh, maybe we'll have three, but we've got two wonderful men with us on the show today. Um, Ken, go ahead and introduce yourself and then Jim, um, just to let everybody kind of know who you are. Why are you here today? I'm Ken James. I'm
2: uh, coming kirtland new mexico today mexico uh retired pastor missionary from the north american mission board and uh got quite a history of uh, apologetics uh, work ministry
0: all right thank you for that and jim uh you've been on the show um before we've already talked with you a little bit about some of your uh particulars and stuff we're kind of i think this is a little bit more about uh general apologetics and stuff in your life but uh our listeners have heard you once before, but I'm sure we've grabbed some new guys. So please uh, just, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself here at the very beginning.
3: Okay. My name is uh, Jim Shirkey, calling from Springfield, Missouri. I am a member of the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network and was trained many years ago by Ken James. So it is great for me to reconnect with Ken and uh, see what he's up to and to express the appreciation that I have for him, for the fine way that he prepped me into a calling that has stuck with me for about 40 years now.
0: Yeah. Well, awesome. And, um, that's what we're here to talk about today is, uh, you know, you guys have uh, hung in with us. Uh, we, you know, we've hit the abolition thing a lot and we'll, we're going to continue, um, to hit. Abolition, the SBC, um, all those kind of things. Uh, But this is an apologetics podcast. And and when it comes to abolition, when it comes to all these other things that we kind of will hit for a little bit, you know, it's all apologetics and those are little particular things. But we like to come out of the weeds sometimes and just like talk about apologetics, um, meet apologists, and uh, be able to give you guys those human resources that you guys have never heard of before, but they've been out there, they've been championing things for years. um, So this isn't just a new thing. This isn't just a young buck thing. There, there's a generation before us, a generation before them. And this is stuff that's flown throughout history, um, defending the truth um and proclaiming the gospel. And so that's why we have these guys on here today. For as, you know, we're gonna talk about apologetics, we're gonna talk about legacy. And as Jim has already kind of highlighted, um, there's a there's a relationship here. So Dave, this is uh, something that you've brought together and we I thank you for that. And uh so you take it away, dude.
1: Well, Adam, thank you so much. I'm always so glad to get to do the podcast with you. Now, those of you both Ken and Jim don't actually notice this, but if anyone who watches regularly notices that I have a different background, I'm not in my office. I'm actually recording from my home today. So mm-hmm. I apologize if there's any uh any type of interruptions, or if the sound is a little funny, it's because I'm not at my office. But this idea for the program actually came to me about a year ago. Jim and Charles Smith and I were meeting. And of course, the first time that I ever met Jim Shirk, and the first time that I met Charles We began to kind of talk about how we got into apologetics, and some of this is unknown to uh, Ken James here, but the very first memory that I ever have about Christian apologetics was when Ken James came to the church that my dad pastors in Kansas, Crossroads Baptist Church, and he began to tell us about the New Age cult. And I had never heard of this and I was probably about eight years old, but I'll never forget he began to teach us not only on the New Age cult, but other on but on other cults as well. And I was just fascinated as a little kid to, to learn about these different um counter gospels that people were proclaiming. And so Whenever I think about apologetics, I think of the first person that I knew. I didn't even know the name of it was apologetics. But Ken James was on a Sunday night at the church my dad pastors in rural Kansas speaking about the New Age movement. And I had never heard of it. And at eight years old, it stuck with me. And so I thought, man, here is a guy that has not only spoken into my life as a kid, but is impacting guys who are continuing to train others for the gospel. And that was exactly why I wanted to have Ken James on our program. Um, He goes way back with me over 30 years. In fact, he'd even told me today as we began that he was there shortly after I was cleaned up after I was born. So why go way back with Ken? So with that said, uh, Ken, I've given you a little bit of an introduction, but tell us just a little bit about your history in apologetics and how you got into apologetics, and what you've done, uh, particularly even with Southern Baptists regarding the growth of apologetics.
2: I'll try not to be too lengthy or wordy here. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. After I finished seminary in 76, I was called to pastor right where I live right now, First Baptist Church of Kirtland, New Mexico. Well, if you're familiar at all with Mormonism, you'll know that the Mormons built their first temple in Kirtland, Ohio in 1835, and therefore that tells you who settled this Four Corners area up here in New Mexico, and so it hit me after I became a pastor here at First Baptist Kirtland that uh, if I was going to be a true missionary and an emissary of the king And if I was if all of a sudden he had put me on the backside of Africa with a primitive tribe, I wouldn't have been worth my salt as a missionary unless I learned the language, the religion, the culture and all of that people. So I suddenly realized I was in the midst of a people whose language I didn't know, even though they spoke English, but they spoke Mormonese Mm -hmm. and the culture and then the the faith that, that they embraced. And so I began diligently to work on knowing that because you can't believe the impact and the power that the Mormons still hold in this area, by the way. They've just broken ground to build a temple in Farmington, which is the, the town just to the we got three cities up here in the northwest corner, Farmington, Bloomfield and, and um, uh, Aztec. And uh, by the way, I graduated high school from Aztec in 61, so I'm back in my home stomping area now. But anyway, I began to put together a a syllabus entitled what I would have to give up to become a Mormon. And God began to open doors immediately for me to share that in the local churches. And then the interfaith witness department under the uh, the leadership ultimately of a Gary Leeser, Dr. Gary Leeser, got a hold of my syllabus, and so then they began to use me in other places. They would send me to another state or whatever to share of uh, the differences between Mormonism and Christianity, and so that opened doors, and so, excuse me, Uh, I continued that, uh, just continued to pour myself into it. Believe it or not, I read the entire tome put out by Gerald. Uh, and Sandra Tanner, you know, the uh, Mormonism shadow of reality. I told Sandra one time I read that. She said, I can't believe anybody had read that book. That's so big. But several others as well. And so I became well-versed in Mormonism most of all. Got to Manhattan, Kansas to pastor. I left here and, and went up there and um, began to pastor there and, and continued to be called upon to lead especially conferences on Mormonism. And then in uh, 19, oh gosh, 89 I believe it was, uh, I got a call from the Interfaith Witness Department of the Home Mission Board at that time, Gary Leer, the director of the department, and uh, he said, we need a regional director in 14 states right there in the middle of your country of our country. We need a regional director. Uh, to direct the work of interfaith witness and i am gladly accepted it was a marvelous beginning of a tremendous time of about 10 years of working with the interfaith witness department and in that time they had the beautiful i had i didn't develop but they had developed this certification program where people like jim Shirkey and and, and uh, others many of many many others would come and commit themselves to a Five to seven hours, Jim. I don't know how many of those you took, how many certifications you had, but must have been several. Two, two, okay, actually, actually three. Yeah, well, we would, we would, uh, train, we would actually spend five to seven hours on a faith group on one, one discipline, and then they had an assignment when they left. This is what gave it integrity. They had to read two books on the faith, one of them by, by. Uh, the the group we were studying, they had to prepare uh, and lead an hour conference and give an outline of it, and then uh, they had to interview someone from that faith group and write up that interview. And I think there was one other Jim. Maybe you can help me on this. But we we they had to submit all that to us, and when all that came in, then we offered them a certificate. And then we let the people know in their area their director of missions for their associations their state convention that they were available and we had over 500 people trained across the nation at one time to lead conferences and many of these like jim and uh, and 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 like our good friend who hadn't joined us she had and I got a hold of him, by the way, right after he came out of Jehovah's Witnesses. What an experience and what he's taught me about Jehovah's Witnesses. But uh, anyway, uh, we, we led these conferences and we it was a grand time. It was a grand time. And I became I, I guess I could have earned three or four doctorates on the study I did on, on all the disciplines. I mean, I taught the occult, I taught Jehovah's Witness, I taught Mormonism, taught New Age movement, taught Hinduism. And you don't just do that just overnight. You got to dig in and boy, we we dug our heels in and studied and prepared and God opened doors. So and, let me
1: interject real quick here, yeah. Ken, because sure. I want to make sure that I'm following on everything on this. So you started out, you know, you went to the local church, you were preaching, you ran into a cultural Issue that was particular to where you were. There was a massive influx. There was a massive group of of Mormons there. So, in order to minister into the context that you were ministering, you had to create a resource. You created a resource. Other people began to use that. That opened the door for you to be able to teach that broadly. And then, of course, the Home Mission Board was looking for individuals like you who were willing and ready to train others. And again, that just opened the floodgates. Um, for you to be able to impact people like uh, Jim here and like Charles Smith. And that program, uh, that certificate program, wasn't just a, hey, let's look at all these secondary documents. It was, no, you need to get into primary Mormon documents if you're studying Mormonism uh, and some secondary documents, and then demonstrate that you can teach on these things so that you can then go and take that to other churches. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the situation that we have going on as the, as the Southern Baptist convention, it's more uh, like we've seen in Missouri, a statewide thing. So sorry, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure I was tracking on, on everything. No, you've,
2: you've, you've, you've encapsulated what I said. We, we had a grand time about 10 years and I, and then I, I became the evangelism director for the state convention of Kansas, Nebraska, which I served for another 10 years before I retired. But, uh, A a leadership group changed, came in, and next thing we knew that the lights in the interfaith witness department in Alpharetta, Georgia, were turned out, and they killed the, they did not realize the impact our, our department was having on the nation. Every place we went, when we'd go to the conferences in summer at Glorietta, they would put us in a little old room. Next thing you know, I had to go over to the office and say, "You better put us somewhere else." They had to put us in the chapel because people were hungry to hear, Mm. because there was hardly anyone that ever attended a conference that had not been affected in their family by one of the cult groups, and they were hungry to hear, Mm. and uh, so they killed us. I mean, we, we did, but. By that time, I had already then moved over to the Kansas-Nebraska Convention as evangelist Director, which I continued then to promote the apologetics ministry there. And uh, it was just—it was a glorious uh, chapter in my own ministry that uh, we had for those ten years training people, and I was responsible in it for the 14 states right where I lived, right in the middle of the country. And I continued to live in Manhattan, Kansas, as I administered that. But the thing about it is, is that we wanted people to know my main interest was to say to them, the people that appear on your doorstep are not your enemies. They're captives of our enemy. Hmm. And therefore we don't need to treat them as an enemy, but just say, God, thank you for bringing them. And now. You use the bricks of understanding to build not a wall between you, but to build a bridge of communication and relationship. And that was my main goal as we train people to interact with people of these other faith groups in such a way that they could bring the gospel. And uh, that 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 was the goal that drove us. That, that's what drove us all the way through. Hmm. That's about it, Um I, by the way, I, I lost my first wife in 2012 of 46, and I'm remarried now. You might be interested to know that I, I married the lady who was my secretary when I was pastor here in the 70s in Kirtland. So this pastor, this preacher, ran off with his secretary. But we've been married <laughs>
0: yesterday.
2: yesterday yesterday we celebrated our ninth anniversary and it's been a joyous nine years
0: well happy anniversary to you man it's that's awesome to hear the lord the lord provides and uh you know that's that's he provides in our apologetic and everything and you know just to kind of take that idea anyway as a good segue here is you know um he's provided you students and then you've been somebody that's provided a lot of students a lot of information and uh getting into these things the right way. Sounds like uh the SBC of yesterday year was a whole lot more involved, um, you know, from the top down um than they if were I, in the if past. If I can say Adam, yeah, yeah go for One it. of the things we did, we had a national
2: meeting every year, and we had we had our representatives in each state convention, and we would invite them in, uh, evangelism directors, mission directors. And we would meet in places like Sedona, Arizona, Salt Lake City, or or up in Boston, and we would interact. We would actually have dialogues, promote dialogues with our people, with those other people. And it was a marvelous time. We were in Sedona, Arizona, and one old boy says, we're going to have a a full moon meditation tonight out at one of the vortexes. Would you like to join us? And I kind of, I guess I, I said, you know, when I get out and there's a full moon, I start howling like wolf. And I said that'd probably mess up meditation. But <laughs> anyway, he was, he was he was gracious. You know, it was fun. But we had tremendous dialogues with these other faith groups. The one up in Boston with the Church of Christ Scientists, man, you talk about them. I'll never forget that dialogue. And so that's what we did with these men and, and, and women that came from these state conventions. And they were better equipped then to lead the people in their own state to bridge gaps with people of other faith groups and prepare their people when all of a sudden a faith group snatched one of their children away or grandchildren away. So, okay, I'm
1: taking too much time. (laughs) Ken, this is awesome. This is exactly what we wanted uh, because there's a lot about the SBC's apologetic ministry, interfaith ministry that I think we've lost. Uh, something we'd love to recover, uh, which would be incredibly important. But b- because people don't know the history of this, they didn't know how big of an apologetics ministry we had. So that kind of brings me a little bit to this legacy component. As you're out there training folks, you run into people like Jim. Jim, tell me a little bit about how you first met Ken and how his training helped equip you and even give you a greater desire to engage others in apologetics training.
3: Sure. Sure. I guess I've always been, and I've been uh, a Christian since I was about seven years old, uh, but I've always been somewhat interested in other faith groups. Uh, the people lived next door to us, when I was growing up, were devout Catholics. And one day, uh, uh, Mark, who was two years younger than me, his mother called him in for dinner, and he said, oh, no. And I said, uh, your mother's not a good cook? And he said, oh, no, she's a great cook. But this is Friday, and Friday night we always have fish, and I don't understand why we do that. And I thought, here I am, not a Catholic, and I know why he does it, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Years later, I worked, worked at a grocery store, and uh, one of the checkers, she, she and I were scheduled to go on break at the same time. And I said, well, won't you go with me? We'll go down to the drugstore, and I'll buy you a Coke. And she said, I don't drink Coke. I said, you don't? She said, no, I don't believe it. And I thought, don't believe in drinking coke. I'd never heard of that. And then when I went to the Air Force, uh, a, a guy down the hallway from the in the barracks I was in, going to tech school, came down to my room with his uh, fatigue britches on and the, and a t-shirt, and his t-shirt had these three little patches <laughs> on. And I thought, you know, being a typical GI, I said to well, him, "Man, if you were something," I said, "You come into the Air Force and." Uncle Sam gave you all the clothes you ever want. Here you are putting patches on them. And he told me that uh, I had offended him, that that was part of his religion. Hmm. And that just blew me out of the water. So I apologized like a bad man and begged his forgiveness. And he finally forgave me. And I said, I would never, never do anything to insult someone's faith. And so he forgave me. And I said, now, would you do me a favor? And he said, sure. And I said, Tell me about your t shirt <laughs> because I was really curious. And, and and he said, Well, I can't. So that's kind of my base, my background. I've always been interested. Uh, then, when uh, a member of her family married a Mormon girl, uh, my uh, mom and I said, We need to find out more about this. And so we scheduled a time for a mission, some missionaries to uh, come to the house and talk to us. And then, about at the same time, I looked at our Greene County Baptist newspaper and saw that one of the churches here in Springfield was sponsoring an interfaith witness conference. Never heard of that either. And so I did some research into that and ended up going to the conference that Ken James led on Mormonism. It was about three hours on Friday night and about six or seven hours on Saturday. (laughs) And at the end of that, he talked about this thing of certification and being involved in this. And I thought, he's singing my song. Mm-hmm. So I began, uh, began studying uh, for certification in Mormonism. He said that one of the things we have to do is read two books. One of the books I read was No One Knows My History by Fawn Brody. Uh, that particular book is one of my prized possessions. I can see it on the bookshelf where, I, where I'm sitting right now. My wife picked it up at a used bookstore, and when I got home from work, she handed it to me, and I looked through it, and in the back of it I saw the price sticker for where it was originally sold. It was sold at the Deseret Bookstore in Salt Lake City, Utah, owned by the the Mormon Church. Why they were selling that book really blew me away, because that is one of the most condemning books you can ever read. It's the a biography of Joseph Smith Mm -hmm. and it doesn't do the Mormon church any favors. So why they had that book in their bookstore.
2: May I, may I interrupt you just a minute, Jim, on on that, on that book, Fawn Brody, Fawn Brody wrote it. And then the president of the church says, now we've got one of our own an esteemed historian and she was a biographer. And he, and so they put it out there and then one of the Mormon leaders read it and, in, and they pulled them all off the shelves and, and excommunicated Fawn Brody for the book. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't right. put that in. Right. No, you're That's...
3: right. So I read that book, and then I also read a book by a guy who was a Mormon bishop, and the book was entitled, Have You Witnessed to a Mormon Lately? Mm-hmm. The guy's uh, name was James Spencer. He became an evangelical pastor in Idaho, and I understand he passed away a few years ago, but his book... Have You Witnessed to a Mormon Lately is an outstanding little book. I bet I bought eight copies of that and I loaned them out and never get them back. So it must be a good book, but, uh, it gives, it gives some really great uh, pointers on witnessing to other faith groups and not just Mormonism. So, and my, and my, uh, ministry in, in, uh, uh, apologetics has shifted more from, uh education about the faith group, and I focus on education of our faith group in how to deal with that faith group. I want to teach people that they don't have to not open the door when a when a Jehovah's Witness knocks, uh, that they can open it and spend time with them. I've done that. Uh, one time, I make this really short, but one time uh, I spent 45 minutes, I got lawn chairs, and we sat on the front porch for 45 minutes talking about things like their belief that Christ used to be Michael the Archangel, and then he was Christ, and now he's Michael the Archangel again. So I just asked them to to prove what it is, and I don't do it aggressively. The One time that I did that, um, uh, the, the the guy and his wife, at the end of it, said, uh, his name was Ron, Ron said, can, can I say one other thing? And I said, sure, sure go ahead, Ron, go ahead. And he said, um, I've been doing this for 45 years now. And I've never had anybody do what you did today. You sit down and treated us with respect, and you welcomed us. He said, "I'll never forget this." So that opened the door where they have come back. Now since the COVID thing, I haven't seen them, but I was—I didn't—I uh, didn't take shots at them. I wanted to seriously. I wanted to share my faith with them. They both admitted that they used to be Baptists, which just kills me when they say it but uh you know they're my my theme is it's not about religion it's about relationship and that's what i try to talk to people about and that's what i that's what my goal is in training people in our church and how do you confront these people you don't need to be afraid of them
1: i'm Mm -hmm. going to kind of shift uh yeah yeah, i want to kind of shift something because There's some interesting statistics that have come out recently. In fact, I actually saw this on Chuck Kelly's Facebook page today. I don't know if you can see the screen there, but uh, as it says, baptisms are as close a proxy for evangelism in the SBC. Uh, Note the following numbers. In 1972, um, of course, 445,000 baptisms. Uh, In 2001, 395,900 baptisms in a year. You can see uh, before COVID, after COVID, one of the things that you mentioned very clearly, Ken, and I don't know if you've ever seen these numbers before, is that in the late 70s, there was a massive push uh, for interfaith witnessing. That's a term that we don't talk about now. Uh, As you think about the... um, about the lack of emphasis on interfaith witnessing and apologetics in the convention. And I know some of this is speculating, but would you say that there's been an impact that we can actually see as a result of that?
2: Are you asking me, Dave? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I'm I'm really I'm really not in the in the mainstream of circuit being retired up here in New Mexico right now, but uh, I just know that there was a tremendous vacuum created when the department was dissolved when it was shut down we had we had uh, let's see i had one we had four regional directors across the united states and they had guys in the department who wrote the most wonderful witnessing materials of interfaith witness that you'll find anywhere our belief bulletins were just incredible but there, all of a sudden a vacuum was created within the denomination And therefore, it and and then it it literally uh, made its way out into beyond the denomination uh, to these families that had become dependent upon us. You can't believe the number of calls I got after they shut the department down. Ken, where can we get this material? Where can we get? And when there was nowhere to get it, it was not being produced. So it it left a tremendous vacuum there. And uh, I just—I um, I, I doubt if it's been filled yet. But but let me just say this right quickly, if I may. I was so pleased. Missouri was one of the greatest states of the 14 states. It was the most active. green County, we had—I don't know how many uh, uh, certification trainings there.
0: Go green County! Mm. And, and, I just have to yeah, give a go shout go out to my green my County. brothers.
2: <laughs> yeah, and we. We had, and, and then another thing that happened, that, let me just real quickly, could I get on this? But we went up in the Dakotas, in North Dakota. One of the greatest experiences of my life was in a room with 22 people, 11 young couples who had been raised Roman Catholic in that North Dakota. All of them. And I did my sharing our faith with our Roman Catholic Friends Conference. That was the most moment, because I received letters two or three years after that conference from these couples who said, thank you for helping us to know how to relate to our families. Because before that, we were just on a battleground with them and, and, and all, but they 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 literally learned how. And that kind of emphasis was lost as we lost the department and all. And so um, it, it, uh, it is a great look. But oh, let me get back to Missouri. It's guys like uh, uh, Jim and like Charles and Dave, like you and and Adam, and and you have continued there in Missouri. I've watched that from afar, and I keep up with Charles. He and I talk quite frequently, and uh, we used to lead Jehovah's Witness conferences together, and that was lots of fun. But anyway, uh, you guys have kept it more alive in Missouri than I doubt if it's in any other state. You mentioned, what, Texas will ago, that they may have something. I don't know who's pushing that there.
0: Yeah, there's but, a little uh, bit more systematized than here in Missouri as far as, like, you know, they're a little bit more academic, um, where Missouri a little bit more uh, – I, I, I hate the word, but I use it layman uh, anyway, so there, it's yeah. a lot more like, so there's a little bit more like me homeschool, like Dave calls me the homeschooled apologist. So I just grabbed Mantell and ran with them, you know, and, and did that. So there, that's Missouri and, you know, Texas has theirs, but it is more, uh, you know, they're bringing in the big names. Um, it's more people that get into it. They already have paid for their college education and all that kind of stuff. And so that's, so there's a little bit of a difference, but that's the only two States, um, boasting, um, any sort of apologetical content, um, coming out of the, out of that state convention. So it is a, I, I'm Kansas might, I'm not sure if Dave's gotten into. I don't Kansas think there's market, anyone but, doing
2: anything in Kansas Nebraska right now. I yeah. was pretty much the, the, the only one that was really involved in getting anything done there.
0: yeah so that's definitely you know again like i said something that i noticed that seems like it's a big change and thank you for the history of that so that we all uh know that you know we have something that uh can be recovered um in in our midst uh, as baptist life anyway that we you know maybe missouri and texas can take up the mantle to kind of help other states uh reinvigorate them if we can't get it from a convention standpoint a a national convention standpoint but yeah dave he's getting his finger pointed up i better let him go. Well,
1: that 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 actually kind of uh, allows <laughs> yeah. me to progress a little bit with some of my thoughts. And remember, both Ken and Jim. Much of this is just a free flowing discussion because I'm so grateful to be in the room with both of you guys. Uh, I just to again give that little piece. Ken probably had no clue that he was <laughs> impacting someone in apologetics when he was at my church on a Sunday night, uh, as a Uh, I would assume at that particular point you were pastoring at um, college Heights or you had recently just left college Heights to jump into uh, a role at the home mission board. Uh, You weren't, you weren't preaching to a massive room of folks. There were uh, some old ladies there. There were a handful of folks, but because of your desire to train people in a face-to-face way Uh, god bless that and and here's kind of my question and i want to get both of you on this you've watched apologetics change uh not only to southern baptist but as a whole and what are some of those major changes that you see that have taken place both good and bad when it comes to apologetics training
2: jim go ahead
3: okay um well i mean like ken said the bad thing is when the North American Mission Board dropped interfaith evangelism. and I, I think that was really a shame. I think that the Home Mission Board, from what I understand, didn't like us because we were not evangelical enough. And I think what they did not realize is that when you began talking with people in some of these faith groups, and especially Jehovah's Witnesses and LDS, that once the person discovers the fallacy of their faith, it may take them as much as seven years to get out. So you're not going to have someone knock on your door some Saturday morning who is Jehovah's Witnesses and lead them to the Lord. Then that That's, right. That's
2: right. It may take yeah.
3: seven years to do it. So the, the point I make with that is we need to train our people so that they can take up that mantle. If my next door neighbor... Is a Jehovah's Witness. I need to get to know them, and I need to be prepared to commit five to seven years of sharing with them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. So that's one place where I think the North Bay Commission Board really missed really missed the boat. They
2: really, really me, did. Yeah. Let me let me let me add to that, if I may. It, uh, Interfaith witness is cultivated evangelism and and the fast the the quicker we learn that the better we are but we were accused of being as that in the department being a department we were accused by that leadership at that time of not being evangelistic but only being academic Mm -hmm. and nothing could be further from the truth we all had a heart for people to know jesus and so they moved us from the minute the missions division of the north american mission board to the evangelism division because and here was a quote almost a direct quote we need them to m- monitor the interfaith witness department and and make and so what they were talking about with Jim was this quick evangelism. You know, you get a hold of somebody and in 15 minutes you make a believer out of them. Mm. And they just didn't understand the principle of interfaith witness being cultivative evangelism. And yeah. that's what we were training the people to do. Yeah. Link your lives with those people in a loving manner and share with them your faith as well as helping them to understand the fallacies of, of their own faith.
3: Yeah. So my commitment my now is to as much as possible train people in Southern Baptist churches to be able to share their faith with people in these cults and give them information that they can use for that to that end i have created i got this kind of lesson off of the uh uh belief bulletins that ken talked about and i still got a bunch of copies of those uh but to create uh brochures single topic brochures like one of my brochures is um uh the virgin birth of christ mormon style <laughs> and so they don't believe in it when they they say they believe in the virgin birth but in in theology and their doctrine they don't and so i want to give them our people just a nugget that they can learn that very easily and be able to talk to a, a mormon about what do you believe about the virgin birth of christ i'll never forget one conversation i had with some uh, missionaries one night i said so you believe in the virgin birth of christ no i said you you believe that god has a body and he came to earth And he had a normal sexual relationship with a young lady named Mary and she became pregnant and gave birth to Christ because I drug drug out a whole lot more than that. And he said, yes, I believe that. And then I looked him straight in the eye and I said, do you believe in the virgin birth of Christ? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, okay, we're going to stop talking about theology. We're going to talk about physiology for a minute. You realize what you just said that can't happen. And so these people in cults, Mormonism and, and Joe's Witnesses, fall for a bag of stuff. that's a bunch of lies, and they don't even know it. They're, they're trapped and don't have a clue what their faith group really teaches. And so I see that as, as my biggest objective is to educate our people so that they can begin educating their neighbors, their friends, the people they work with, maybe people in their family about how to approach these people about their belief system
1: yeah then, move oh, just a little bit there go ahead adam i don't know i was
0: just to gonna you say you know that. i was just gonna yeah move a, a little bit keeping in the same thing you know you're talking about you know the the differences between the emphasis um and the denomination and and uh you know still where you know in the area of mormonism like when it comes to like mormonism and the cults and stuff like that has that changed over the years has there been some other is- like pressing issues that seem to be um, something that kind of shifts the attention and, you know, even though we might have Mormonism and and Jehovah's Witnesses here in the background, is there is there a change in like where the direction that we should go with our culture? Um, has it not really changed a whole lot? Like uh, what have you seen sort of culturally um, the shift between uh, where you guys started um, and now?
2: If, if I may address that, there's an insidious thing that has invaded the lives of our churches, I believe, and I'm speaking very generally here, that, you know, long as these, it's almost that old statement, you know, that, as long as you really believe what you believe, you're okay. And and there's just a lot of our people who don't see, and don't really want to see, they think everything is all right, you know, they said, if you're, if you're sincere, and, and, and you have a belief if you have a strong belief and you're sincere, you're okay. And I said, you know, if that's the case, a hog can have religion, uh, the right religion, because I've never seen a, a, a hog that wasn't sincerely hungry. And if you doubt that, put him at the trough and see how sincere he is about eating. So a hog can have religion if that's the only criteria, but mm. it, it's, it matters what we believe, because it it's, must it's- it must find its source in the word. And I'm finding that there are so many people who are so ignorant of the word. Many have been members of our churches for years. And so this has been sort of a retirement campaign, a man in his 80s (laughs) trying to say, and I teach right now, I'm teaching the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night. I just got through with Jeremiah. Our pastor is so wonderful, giving me that forum to do that. And I bring in a lot, by the way, of what the cults believe believe when we hit those scriptures, which are so different that they have done their scripture twisting on. One other thing, if I can say it before go, I think that the interfaith witness uh, movement is is now, and I may be wrong on this, but I may be speaking uh, out of a compounded ignorance, but uh, I really believe that it's more invested now in those who are the bright lights. You mentioned a while ago, Adam, the, the big guns, or however you said that, who's, who are notable and all, but it's not getting to the grassroots levels of our people like we once did. And that's where right. my heart is. That's where my yeah. heart is. Yeah. yeah,
3: I I try to express to people that it's not about religion. Right. It's about relationship.
2: relationship.
3: And there, there are a lot of people in our churches that are, pardon the expression, are betting their eternity on religion. And it's about relationship. If you don't know the resurrected Christ, then you don't have it. I don't care if you go to Sunday school every Sunday for, for 50 years. If you don't have that relationship, you don't have it.
1: Guys, I am so grateful. And Ken, one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on was because I wanted to uh, make sure it was clear to you that you have had an impact beyond just your generation. Uh, I like to use that word, this this phrase, because I've heard other people say it, you've shot your arrows into the future. Uh, And so uh, part of that, I think, is a really important thing. We don't do apologetics just for the here and now. Uh, We do it thinking about the next generation to come. And, and that should create an apologetics legacy. And so as, as you kind of think back, you know your four decades of doing apologetics, uh, what would be some advice that you would give to to young bucks like Adam and I, uh, and even to the next generation about why what you're doing is important and how to establish that legacy? And, and Jim, I'd love to hear from you on this as well.
2: My first thing is say to you, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged because anytime you're investing in the word of God first and you're investing in others on the basis of the word of God, there's no room for discouragement there. Now, if you start looking at all the circumstances about you and some of the things we've talked about here, the setbacks we've had and all of that, uh, you could become discouraged but just remember it's him, it's Mm -hmm. him and he is Lord and he's Lord, whether we say he is or isn't, he is Lord. And so don't, don't get discouraged and keep up the good work is what I'd say to you. Those of us, I'm, my limitations are closing in around me. My, my banner right now is first Timothy where Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've, I've run the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give me, not only to me, but those who love his appearing. That's kind of my banner I'm marching under right now because of the the age and all. But uh, uh, you guys, I, I just appreciate so much. Stay by the stuff. Don't get discouraged. And make sure you're grounded in nothing less than the word of God. And that's, yep. that's, that's the word I've got to say, Dave, to, to answer
3: yep. Well, I, I try to say in the conferences that I do, know what you believe and why you believe it. It's not good enough that grandpa was a Baptist pastor. You got to know what you believe and why you believe it and stand firm upon that and use that as the springboard in comparing or dealing with those, those groups out there that, uh, Uh, that are missing the mark Uh, do it uh, approach those folks first of all train the people around you uh, so that so that they have a heart for this as well so they understand what's going on and then share the truth with these people when they come to your door and do it with love and respect Um, and 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 just let them know uh, that you love them through christ
0: yeah, the, it's that generation. Yeah, I love just the, hearing that, you know, it's that generation passing down. So we, we got to continue as uh, Christ said that, I mean, this and really, it goes back to Deuteronomy six, you know, this thing is for, you know, this God's word, his law is for, you know, them and their children. Uh, to all generations and so we've got to pass this thing down and i you know ken it's awesome to hear um again um just for full disclosure for everybody you know i've never known you ken and so it's just awesome just kind of being a bystander here um in the in in the conversation just hearing about you um hearing of your work and so uh, you know i get i get some kind of a little nuggets to go look up and 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 see everything that you've done um what you've taught and uh know that it has affected jim affected Dave and Charles and stuff like that. Just to see and, and just to know that there is there there has been in the past something um, in the earlier Baptist life for me uh, coming into it that there was a push, there was gumption and and stuff put behind it in Baptist lives, and so like that's something I can be like, oh, if we have a precedent, you know, like what can I do? And so that that legacy that you just left me. Hopefully, that's something that maybe um, just through the years of me being in the Missouri Baptist life, maybe I could figure out a way to go. Like, okay, how do we um, get that bigger push um, from from denominational life to be able to teach, certify, and make it a little bit more not necessarily academic. It doesn't have to go that far, um, even though we do need academic academics. We do need you know we other need, people. Yeah. You know, we need we need all gifts um, to continue. The legacy of what Baptists have done to the culture, because um, we got to answer that culture, knowing, as Jim says, um, what we believe first, and then going in like you know, you've taught you taught people how to know the other side, so that you hopefully know them better than they do know, and then you've already got what you know, and then you can put that gospel right into. Um, their thing. So that's just, that's worldview apologetics. And that's an amazing thing. And you know, that you've been teaching it. It's been there. It's nothing new. It's not coming up with us young bucks, um, finding out, you know, old Princetonian guys and, you know, smelling their good books and opening them and reading them. You know, this is something that's, that God has always had. And so I thank you for bringing this story um, and this information to me, just because it just goes, yep. Yep. I don't have to be, if I get discouraged, I don't have to be discouraged. God's been at work this whole time. And, it's That's an amazing right. thing. So I appreciate um, your uh, your work and I just, you know, continue on You're 80, but guess what? The, I never saw a, and this is what I have to apply to myself and I apply to other people. We don't get to retire till we're dead <laughs> and out of this flesh. No. So.
2: Matter of fact, this dear lady I'm married to, what a sweetheart. I did something that was totally, totally um, unheard of. We got married when both of us are 70, and I made a 70 year old woman a preacher's wife at 70 years old. But I want you to know she has risen to the occasion, brother. But awesome. she keeps me going, and I, I've been preaching. My pastor lets me preach, and I get to teach. And uh, so no, I'm not, uh, I'm just getting be a retread instead of or, or a retard, maybe I don't know, instead of retired, <laughs> but uh, I'm getting my opportunity. Matter of fact, Sunday. Uh, Last Sunday, I preached at our church or Sunday before last, our church at nine o'clock and then got in my car and drove out to La Plata Valley, which is about 15 miles out and preached at their church at 11 o'clock. And then the rest of the day, I just died. So, uh, (laughs) but no, uh, you don't retire from the, you don't retire in the Lord's work. You just, whatever, whatever he gives you to do, you do it with all your might and knowing that it's, uh, he is our source of supply.
1: Yeah. And Ken and Ken, Jim, uh, we are so Ken, thankful. Uh, oh, go for it, oh. go
3: for it, Jim. Ken it's, Sorry. A, Ken, it's been a real blessing to see you again, and I, I just want to thank you publicly for what you did for me.
2: Thank you, Jim.
3: Uh, the way the way you taught uh, Mormonism with the passion that you taught it, I walked out of there on the Friday night thinking I got to do I got to do this, mm-hmm. then I come back Saturday and finished it up, but. I, I love the work and I very much appreciate what you did for me.
2: Thank you, Jim, I still I'm got,
3: I still got that notebook with all the notes I took in when you, <laughs> when you before. Still sitting over
2: there on the shelf. I'm humble by that, Jim, thank you.
1: And uh, Ken, I would uh, re- re-also say that, just to reiterate those words. You had no clue when you were teaching, I believe it was on the New Age at our church Uh, That there was an eight-year-old who was paying attention on a Sunday night, uh, again, a Sunday night uh, at a Southern Baptist church, a country Southern Baptist church, and there was an impact there. And so thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the time that you gave us. Uh, Jim, you know, brother, I'm always so grateful for you whenever I get to be with you. Um I'm sorry, Charles, was not able to make it, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get him on again sometime. And I'm glad that you've continued to be in contact with him. Adam, I, I really appreciate everything that you always do. We're kind of running a little short of time here. Always want to respect your time to the best of our ability. So, Adam, if you'll bring us to our conclusion.
0: Well, you know, that's uh that's what I'm definitely here for. I'm definitely good at uh starting things and ending things and uh, you know, providing that colorful commentary in the between time anyway. But no. Okay, guys thank you so much for your time dave uh you know just this has uh been still a new venture uh dave being uh in kansas and you know because he's usually here and this uh shot's a little wider and he's next to me and i've definitely i've definitely missed that immensely um having him uh having that personal push that i know he's coming over a couple hours prior to us recording but uh yeah so we're st- this is still a new venture but god has been good and provided and uh, there's Yes, I had to just, uh, yeah, my kid just uh, didn't know that we were recording, so I will edit this real quick. We're not live. It's awesome that we're not live anymore. We we used to do that. So let me rewind where I was, but uh, I think I can just start on. Thank you guys uh, for uh, giving us your time. And Dave, given 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 me your time and uh, just putting this together, and we just hope again that this is just something that uh, just a small discussion that leads to just further understanding of this goes on, and this will continue until Christ Bali return, and uh, you know he returns to make all things completely new and everything. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll be in the procession uh, together. You know, we will be dead. We will rise uh, to be with the Lord and we'll come down as he uh, sets his foot on this ground to own everything completely. So that is the gospel hope and uh, that we definitely preach on our podcast. So, but anyway, um, with that said, this is the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray.
1: I am David Van Beber Jr.,
0: and we've got Ian James. Jim Shirky. And then we're going to end it with the three words, but we've got four people. So I'm taking one, Dave's taking one, and then you guys do that last big one together. So, solely, Dio, Gloria.